Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on, let's go young adults. Up here, I'm Rob Berry, and I get to serve like Brian on our elder team, and also get to serve on our with our community shepherds on our community team. And today, this morning, we are on the third week of our On Brand series. And On Brand is looking at what are the characteristics that have defined Jesus's disciples for several centuries. And we looked at week one on authenticity, that if you're a disciple of Christ, you should be marked by your transparency and your authenticity. You don't have to wear a mask, right? You can be known, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Week two, we looked at the Bible and how disciples, Jesus' disciples aren't led by their feelings or even what seems right. They are led by God's word. We looked at what it means to be Bible-based. And today, we're gonna take a look at what it means to be a disciple as we do life with other people. So part of being on brand as a follower of Christ means that you are doing that with other believers and that is called community, all right? So let me tell you, give you an inside glimpse into my house and what it looks like to be on brand Sunday afternoons. So, you know, head home, you know, might eat some lunch and typically I will grab my, my middle two boys and we will sit down and we will watch a recap of Formula One, the race that happened this morning. Any Formula One fans in this room tonight? Okay, I see you waving back there. Awesome. Now, I know, look, I know you took one look at me and you had me pegged as a NASCAR kind of guy, didn't you? <laughs> no, but I love Formula One because the more and more you watch Formula One, the more you realize it's not about the driver. I mean, the driver's the guy in the car that wins the race, loses the race, but the longer and the deeper you get into Formula One racing, you realize what appears to be an individual activity is actually a team sport. And there's no better picture of that than how, as you listen into the team, talk to the driver throughout the race. And that team, the bunch of engineers, they're monitoring, I don't know how many sensors on that car. They're monitoring the weather, If something gets broken, they are replacing fins and all kinds of body parts on that car. But the thing they have to pay the most attention to are the tires. Because see, not one driver can make it through an entire race on one set of tires. Typically, a driver will make one to three pit stops through the entire race. And that's where things get interesting. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have done one of the biggest beatings in life, which is change a tire over the last year. If you've changed a tire over the last year, raise your hand. Okay, it's a beating. Can I get an amen? Red Bull, Team Red Bull, one of the Tim teams, they set a record for a pit stop changing four tires out, and they did that in 1.82 seconds. Yeah, that is, somebody said that's crazy. It is crazy. You see, you win or you lose based on the team that you have around you. Now, what also happens in pit stops is things go very wrong in pit stops. 
and people might come into the pit in first place, second place, third place, and they may leave the pit because something goes wrong in place 18, 19, 20. It happens all the time. Why do I start with F1? Well, I start with F1 because just like they've got to have a team around them in order to make it to the finish line, we've got to have a team around us that's going to get us to the finish line. Like if you want to get to the finish line and hear the ultimate, the best phrase you could ever hear from Jesus when it's all said and done, well done, good and faithful servant, you've got to have a team around you. If you want to finish the race and not have a crazy blowout, you've got to have people around you. See, what looks like an individual activity is actually a team activity when it comes to the Christian life. And today we're going to look at how community is on brand for his people because the Bible says community is in our DNA. It is in our spiritual DNA. We're looking at how the Bible says that it's on brand because we are all called to be part of a Christian community. And then third and not least, community is God's plan A for you to change. It is maybe the most catalytic thing in your life is doing the Christian life with a team. So in order to unpack that, let's jump in. If you've got your Bibles, you don't have to turn far. Just go straight to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we are going to look at how we were all created for community, how we're created for a community. So if you need to know how we were created, you've got to understand the one creating you, which is exactly where we're going to start. Let's jump in to Genesis 1, 26. And here's what it says, let us, now this is God speaking here, let us. Now any good Jewish boy reading the scripture at this point should go, hold on, something doesn't add up here. Like we're a couple verses into the scripture and I know without a doubt, because I'm a Jew, good Jewish boy, there is only one God. And anytime you think there's more than one God, that gets you into trouble and exiled. And so what, what do we do with an us? This should be a, a singular, shouldn't it? And what's concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. What is blurry in Genesis 1.26 comes into focus all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the books. Maybe the greatest of those books is the Gospel of John, where we get an inside look into the, who is the us here? If you're a follower of Christ, you know that the us is the Trinity, that there is one God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here's how the Apostle John says it, as he's trying to articulate the us. And we look at um, John chapter 17. Here's what he said. Jesus is talking. He says, Father, I want those you have given me, those are his current disciples and future disciples, us in this room, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. See, the first glimpse we're going to get into, what does it mean for let us? What we're going to see is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed before the creation of the world. And that relationship was marked by a couple things. Glory, we would maybe use the word honor, like honor one another, celebrate one another, and love. 
So when we read Genesis 1.26, let us, what we know there is the person who is making us, man, has lived in community in all eternity. And that relationship is marked by love, celebration, and glory. All right, so let's keep going. It says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He uses another, another um, plural pronoun there. After our image and after our likeness. So what does it mean for someone to be made in the image of something else? Well, um, I was fortunate enough. My, I have two kids that are in high school right now with my oldest two boys, and I have two in elementary school right now. And Monday night was meet the teacher night where you get to get all the scoop on your how um, good your kid's behavior is in all their classes. Um, one teacher looked at me and was like, oh, yeah, your kid's like totally a ringleader. I looked at another teacher and go, hey, my, my kid's just not going to be the, like making the best grades in this class, you know. But one teacher met me with like the greatest compliment I could ever get. And um, she was talking about my senior. My senior's like 5'10", five 5'11". Foot foot <clears throat> I know I'm partial. He's really good looking. He has like a full head of blonde hair, good eyes. And I met this teacher, and the first thing she said to me was, you look just like your son. And I thought, <laughs> yes, I do. <clears throat> and let me tell you, the rest of that meet the teacher night as I strutted through Pierce High School with a little more swagger than when I walked in there. Now, why would she say, you know, you look like your son, your son looks like you? Because Jackson has my imprint on him. You can look at Jackson and you don't know exactly what I look like, but you have an idea what I look like. And in the same way, when, when people look at us, they can look at us and go, man, you look something like the God who created you. See, we individually reflect God's likeness and we individually are made in his image. But when we do that with other people in community, similar to the one that created us in community. We more accurately and specifically reflect his image. See, what it means for us to be made in his image is that we were made for deep, personal, intimate relationships where love exists and honoring one another exists. And if that's not enough, Genesis 126, flip one more chapter over because God's going to make his point in Genesis chapter 2. So let me set up Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 2.18. And here's what I would ask you. What is your picture of paradise? I don't want to know, but when you think about your picture of paradise, picture that in your head. That's exactly where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 2, is in paradise. Everything works, nothing is broken, no sin is in the world, there is no decay. So Adam is in paradise, but it's not just the fact that everything is beautiful. He lives in constant fellowship and communion with the God of the universe. You and I would look at that and say, if we're honest, that's heaven. That's heaven. You know what God would say to that? No, it's not. Because heaven's not only where I am, heaven's where people are. 
Look at what he says in Genesis 2. It is not good for man to be alone. See, Adam in that moment had everything around him, but he was missing a someone. And that someone is a deep, personal, intimate relationship. Why do we start here? Why is it on brand to be created in the community? In, in commun- we are created for community. Why is that on brand? Because we are created in the image of the one who is community. And frankly, there is a heresy or borderline heresy that has crept into the church over the last several centuries that is this. Hey, all I need is me and my Bible. Me and Jesus, we're good. That's all we need. You know what God would say to you? It is not good for you to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. We were created for community. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not something we were just created for. We're called to it. We are called to community. We're going to look at King Solomon. King Solomon was kind of known as the most um, wise person of the time, wiser than anybody on the face of the earth. And he wrote a couple different books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, around wisdom. And here's what he says about the idea that we were created for community and that we're called to it. We're going to pick this up in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says this, two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. And he's to, to describe three different ways now what he means by that. If any of them falls down, one can help the other up. That's the first thing. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. If two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be easily overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So hopefully if you read through that, you'll notice a couple things. You'll notice that in order for any of these things to actually happen with you or with me, is that people have to be present. People have to be present. And people being present When people are present, that's provision for you. And it's a protection for you. See, part of the reason why it's not good for man to be alone is because you don't have anybody present who's protecting and making provision for you. I had to, unfortunately, apply this verse a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm like an aging runner and, um, you know, keep wanting to live back in my 30s and my 20s when my, everything worked a little better. And something happened, you know, five or six weeks ago that had never happened before. I was two and a half miles from my house. I was like at Spring Valley in Waterview, if you know where that is, up in Richardson. And my calf just locks up. And it's six o'clock and I'm walking like literally no faster than this. And um, I look like I was 70 um, no offense if you're 70. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to get home? Who's up at six o'clock in the morning? I, you know, seven o'clock rolls on. I got to start making toast for my kids, getting them up, run them to school. Like I got things to do at seven o'clock. How am I going to get home? 
And uh, I started texting Mike and Ryan and like, who, who's up? And you know, one of them's like, Dude, bro, I'll be there in five minutes. Why? They, they weren't present when I heard myself, but they were present. See, in order for somebody to be God's provision for you and protection to you, they've got to be present. If you want to know what Mark's community that we are invited into, it is marked by people being present with you. But you know what's better than two? Here's what he says, three. Three. Because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so people have got to be present, provision, protecting, and the last one is just pressed in. See, what makes a rope with three strands infinitely stronger than a single strand is they are pressed in on each other, tight. It's a great time to just stop and go. If you want a picture of community, man, who is pressed in on my life right now? Or who would say, I'm pressed in on their life right now? Friends, God loves you so much that he wants you to have present provision that protects you and is pressed in. It's the first thing we see in the Old Testament as we look at community. But it's not just an Old Testament concept. We know that, right? All throughout the New Testament, it is littered with this idea of community. All of, go pick a book, and it is talking about us and we and how we do this together. Maybe one of my favorite places in the book of Hebrews, we, we spend like 18 weeks on Hebrews. If you want to go dive deep in the, the book of Hebrews, they're online. They are fantastic. But one of the best places in Hebrews chapter 10, remember the writer of Hebrews is writing because to a church like this, there's just one major difference. That church is under major and severe persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews is explaining to that body, hey, in the midst of all this and hardships, draw near to God. Don't drift. And one of the primary ways we draw near to God is with others. Look at what Hebrews 10 says here. And as I read this, I want you to notice the pronouns. Is this an I or a you singular or is this a we and us? Here's what he says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, as the New Testament looks at community, it's not just about being present and provision. There's something we do with each other. We spur each other on. I've never been a horse that's been spurred. It just doesn't sound fun getting kicked right in the ribs, like, let's go. Friends, the scriptures call us to surround ourselves with people that will motivate us towards the kingdom, that will say, let's go. Hey, Rob Berry, let's go. Come on, come on, old boy, let's go. There's a spurring on. Second, it's marked by people that meet together. 
meet together. And if you read the book of Acts, you know this is not just a Sunday morning meeting together. It is a Sunday morning meeting, and it's much more than that. As you see believers all throughout the week gather together to spur each other on and finally to encourage each other. Like, hey, I know you can do this. Let's go. Let's do this together. See, what appears to be an individual activity is a team activity. It is a we. It is an us. And if you want to reach the finish line, you've got to move towards people, intimate, deep, personal, present, God's provision, protection, pressed on relationships. Pressed on relationships. Something we were created for is something we're called into. And finally, it is the way God changes us. Community is how we are changed. It is a catalyst. You may have heard if you've been around here for a while, that just the, the easiest way to change, explain the change process. How do I change? How do I look different in a year than I did do from now? How do I grow as somebody that is a greater blessing for my kids to live with or my wife to live with? How do you grow as a Christian? There are three components. God's spirit. If you don't have God's spirit, you're just going to be doing behavior modification. God's spirit deals with the idols in your heart that doesn't allow you to modify behavior. It helps you change. God's word That's the guide. How do we change? This way or this way? Well, God's word says this way. Great. And finally, God's people. Those are the three pillars of how God changes his people. His spirit, his word, and his people. You are changed by the people around you, by the team you put around you. That same King Solomon said this in Proverbs 29, says this. This is like every guy's favorite verse. If you're a man in this room, tattoo this verse in your heart. It says this, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Just for fun, anybody have that tattoo? Okay, looking for you. <laughs> Right, man, listen, if you know anything, right, if you ever like swing an ax or do anything like that men should do or use just a knife in your kitchen, you know things go from sharp to dull very quick. That's just part of life. And in order to stay sharp and sharpen yourself, you cannot do that by yourself. The scriptures are screaming that you need people around you so that you don't move towards dullness. You stay sharp and effective. You know how to injure yourself? Try cutting something with a dull knife, right? We don't just stop in the Old Testament. We also look In the New Testament, there are so many places we could go here, but I want to camp out on Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is kind of the last major passage we're going to look at. And in this passage, just to give you a backdrop to what Ephesians is talking about, 
Paul is writing, Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he is writing because there are two different people groups that are part of a church that are not blending well. They're super confused. They're super confused of like, hey, why are you here? And why are you here? You know, it's like, think about that person in your community group. If you're in a community group, that's like, dude, you're, you're harder to live with than you think. That's kind of who Paul is writing to at Ephesus. And he's talking about how these two different people groups live together to accomplish the ultimate purpose of Jesus. And here's what he's going to say in Ephesians chapter 4. Love for you once again to pay attention to the pronouns. Are we talking about I and you or we and us? And here's what he says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Number one, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Second thing, so we're going to grow and build up and we're going to mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by everyone in teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Let me just make a side commentary here. Infants are adorable, right? I mean, like, they're cute. I just saw one back in the green room. They're adorable. Want to eat them up. Can't get enough of them. But nothing's worse than an adult that acts like an infant. And Jesus loves you enough for you to not remain an infant in your faith. And he loves you enough to not let others remain infants in their faith. So back on. So they may be built up, they may be mature. And verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, maturing is a team process. Growing in our faith is a team process. You have an individual role, but it is a team process. Your maturity in Christ is God's plan A. Think about that. God's plan A for you growing in your walk with Jesus are other people. So I don't know if anybody's asked you this question um, over like the last couple months. Like, hey, how's your church? I mean, I think I've gotten asked that a couple times in the last couple weeks. And most of us, when they were like, hey, how's your church? Most of you might go, oh, man, worship's pretty good and worship, you know, teaching's pretty good and kids is rocking, parking, parking. You know, you would think those kind of things. Parking team is awesome. Can we just celebrate the fact that they've poured new concrete over there? Thank you, parking team. My gosh, you talk about the hardest job. It's a parking team. Thank you, guys. That's how, that's how they may answer, how's your church? But you know, if you ask the Apostle Paul how your church is, you know what he would say? He would say words like this. These are the 58 one another's. We're going to leave those up there for a minute. He would say, well, man, how's my church? Well, how are we doing spurn one another on to love and good deeds? 
How are we doing admonishing each other? How are we doing helping each other? How are we doing caring for each other? How are we doing encouraging each other? How are we doing restoring people gently when they are caught in sin? How are we doing bearing burdens with one another? See, when most of us think about church or community, and all churches is a bigger version of community. Remember, community is two or three, and church is more than that. But when we're asked, how's your community group, we might think about some of those things. Or how's your church? When Paul is asked that same question, this is what comes to his mind. Friends, we are all commanded. The thing I love the most about these and that is the hardest about these is that they're not suggestions. They're not suggestions. As a Christ follower, I can't pick and choose which one of those I like and which ones I want to apply not. As a Christ follower, we've got to say, your way, not my way, Lord. And if we can just be honest about that list up there, and there's a cost. There's a cost. If you're in a community group here, if you're a member in a community group here, you know that those words are not just words, they are costly. Man, it takes time and energy to encourage somebody. I mean, it takes a high heartbeat to admonish somebody because you never know it's going to be received. I mean, those things take time. They are costly. And it's not just the physical cost, sometimes the emotional cost. Because sometimes, if you're in a community group, your best attempt to encourage somebody at times comes across harsh. If you're in community, you know what I'm talking about. Right, sometimes in your best attempt, just to be faithful as you try to help somebody, they're insulted. And friends, let's just be honest, there is a cost to doing community with other believers. There is a cost. Even though we are called to it, there is a cost. But you know what the cost is for not doing it? The cost is even higher for not living in community. Solomon um, made this observation about those who are doing it by themselves. In Proverbs 18.1, here's how he describes the cost. He just says this, whoever isolates seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. See what the cost is of isolation? It's the complete opposite thing that Paul commands us to do, which is get rid of, you know, flee from all desires and passions. Crucify your desires and passions. See what happens when you're isolated, you just give yourself over to those things, right? Because there's no one present with provision and protecting. When you're isolated, it's all about you and, not, and what makes you feel good versus what community is, is how do I love somebody? But it doesn't just stop there. The writer of Hebrews in chapter three will say this. He'll say this. 
Let me flip this over and we'll say it. Hebrews 3.13 just says this, but encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Friends, you know what's even more costly than living out the one another's with people? A hard heart. A calloused heart that is all about me and not about you. So community is God's provision, not just to change us, but to prevent us from just giving ourselves to everything that leads to destruction. That's how much God loves you that you were created for community and you're changed by it. So let me just give you a couple ways to apply this message today. If you're a guest here, if you've just been visiting City Bridge for a few weeks, um, here's what I want you to know. Everything we do here is a version of community. Everything we do here is a version of community. In fact, this morning is the only event we have across the entire campus on this, over the entire week where you will stare at someone's, the back of someone's head. Everything we do here Tomorrow night, if you want to work on your marriage, Tuesday night, if you want to come to Regen, Wednesday morning to women's Bible study, Thursday morning to men's Bible study, or at Thursday night for both of those, anything we do here and everything we do here, you may sit in a row for a minute, but you will end up in a circle. Why? Because life change happens in circles more than rows. See, life change happens when you're looking at somebody eyeball to eyeball when you're listening to someone and processing life together, okay, what do you think about this? Hey, what are some ways we could apply today's message? If you're new here, get connected in a circle. If you don't know like where to go, I, I met a person after the first hour and I'm like, I'm at men's Bible study. Here's my phone number, text me, walk in and you can sit at my table. Write on that QR code. I don't know my next step and I wanna get connected with a circle. We will follow up with you and help you get connected here. Show up at the regional gathering next week. If you live up in that area, there will be more of those. If you're trying to figure out how to get connected here, show up at that gathering. That's a great way. And make just a declaration to yourself. I'm going to get one to two phone numbers when I show up here. And that might be awkward, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to text with those people. Go grab coffee with one of those people. There are great opportunities around here for you to get connected in a circle. If you're a member here and in a community group, that word community group might be foreign to some of you. All that means is every member here is in a closed group with other members, at least three members, that are committed to spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And if you are in a community group and a member in here, here's what I would encourage you with, with this message. If life is hard in your community group, and I realize some of your community groups, you may have the wind at your back and you're like, man, life is good right now. I just, there was just a group that was like, man, we just ran through all of our life maps. Like we're on fire right now. Awesome, go get it. But if, if community is hard for you right now, man, I would encourage you to not hit the eject button. Do not pull the ripcord because you think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Stay in your community group. Maybe one of the best passages that helps me think through that is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And it just says this, forgive one another. That's another command. It's not a suggestion. And he says, and bear with one another. 
So let me give you an illustration here. I don't know, what comes to your mind, this is rhetorical, when you think about the word tolerate? When you think about the word tolerate? See, most of us misunderstand that word. You tolerate people you disagree with. You don't have to tolerate people you get along with. You tolerate people you disagree with. In the same way, you don't have to bear with people that are easy to get along with. You bear with people that are hard, which is why Paul wants to command us to bear with one another. And if that isn't enough motivation or command from the Lord, then maybe this is. Maybe you're wanting to hit eject, get out of your community group because it's hard and you don't like who's in there. And maybe God wants you to understand his grace. He wants you to understand his love for you and his provision for you. What do I mean? See, when it's hard to forgive someone, you've got a Jesus problem, not a person problem. And so hanging in there and forgiving someone, you can say, Lord, I am forgiving this person because my forgiveness towards this person is a drop in the bucket towards your forgiveness for me. Hey, the person that says something that really offended me, I'm going to have mercy towards them. And my mercy towards that person is a drop in the bucket towards the mercy you've had with me. Hey, the patience I'm going to have with this person right now that's exhausting is a drop in the bucket of the patience the Lord has had with me. You see, God may have hard people in your circle right now because he wants you to start tasting how rich his mercy and patience and forgiveness is towards you. It may be about you. You've got a grace problem. And finally, he just may want you to learn how to pray. I read this this week um, from a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You don't know him. He stood up to the Nazi regime. Um, He was a pastor in Germany and was ultimately killed for that. And here's what he says about praying for people around you. He just says this, a Christian fellowship exists by the intercession of its members for one another. So for the prayer for each other, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. I read that this week. I'm like, man, I've got to grow here. I've got to grow here. Man, community is God's plan A for you to change. You're created for community. We best reflect his glory when we are deep, intimate, personal relationships. We're called to it and we are changed by it. My favorite thing about F1, just to bring it back to where we started, that this appears to be something individual, but it is a team activity, is one, when the driver makes a mistake. Because there's only 20 drivers in the world. Like, if you're a driver, you're awesome, and they know it. But when a driver makes a mistake, you get to hear what they tell the pit crew, and they, what they say is, guys, I'm so sorry. There's team ownership, even by maybe the most elite people in the world when it comes to a sport. But even better than a driver taking responsibility when they make a stake, mistake to the team is what happens at the finish line. See, if you're in first place, if you're coming around the track 
and it is guaranteed they are, my team is going to win. I'm in the pit crew. The entire pit crew gets up, runs out, and climbs the chain link fence and starts going crazy. And as soon as that driver gets out of the car, the team celebrates. The driver might get a picture with the trophy, but the team celebrates. And my favorite picture over the entire year is not like the picture they take before the season starts where the entire team is like this. The best picture they take is after a victory when the entire team is around them celebrating. And friends, what appears to be an individual activity is anything but. And God loves you too much to let you stay isolated. He wants to surround you with provision, present people that will help motivate you and encourage you so that we aren't just left to our own devices. A Rob Berry that's left to his own desires, and that is a, you don't want to be around that person. And God loves you so much that he wants you to move towards people that will help you finish the race well and run it well. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.